Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Here we go. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi with you wrapping up the work week, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Thank you for joining us. You want to be part of the show? You can do so on the C Spire text line, which I think is still uh, a little hot, a little, little fiery after uh, yesterday. So many of you interacting yesterday on the C Spire text line, and we appreciate that. We remind you that at C Spire, they're not just saying they care. They're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day from free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home. Learn more at cspire.com slash cspirecares. When I look outside my window right now, Borky, it looks like it's 845 at night, like not completely pitch black dark, but almost. And it's a weird weather pattern because everything is blowing from the north to the south. There is a pretty severe line of thunderstorms that maybe is losing a little bit of its gusto, but like when I looked out the door or, or, or the window a little while ago, like off to the north, it was one of those like super dark skies with a shelf cloud built into it and the wind's blowing, the trees are blowing, almost kind of eerie in the, uh, the middle of the afternoon. And that's after we had bright sunshine earlier today. So, Is uh, it anything severe or just one of those Mississippi summer thunderstorms i mean i think it maybe a little more severe than that there was a severe thunderstorm watch in effect for uh, for oxford where i am but uh you know so far i mean it really looked a second ago like it was going to blow trees over and go crazy and i know we were scheduled to visit with uh, with malcolm reed a little while ago i think he's in seen desoto county is that right yeah up in uh oh gosh like I Hernando, think Hernando? Olive branch somewhere yeah. in that area when I pulled up the radar earlier, I mean, it was just like a big red blob uh, that was in that particular area. So I think Malcolm is going to uh, join us another day instead. And uh, so we will have to get barbecue tips from Hey Dad instead today. Hey Dad, what's up? What's up, guys? Another another Friday afternoon. We've, we made it another week. I was in your uh, general neck of the woods today. You can't say hello. I mean, what's going on here? Yeah, we, yeah, we could have had lunch to today. Things things are open again, you know. Yeah, I know, but uh, sorry. Okay. Snuck over to uh, see our good friends at Old Waverly, and uh, left Oxford early this morning. Had an eight o'clock tea time at uh, Old Waverly. Got a uh, a great round in today. Beautiful. You you want to talk about a golf course that is in spectacular condition? Um, Borky, I told uh, Greg Flanagan, who is the uh, the pro at Old Waverly. You know, over the course of probably 15 years or so, I don't, I don't know. I've probably played Waverly a dozen or so times. I don't know that I have – no, I'm pretty sure that I have never seen the greens rolling as good and just as pure 
as they were today. Just, I mean, you remember we played it last year, and, and the people that are there all the time are saying, well, golf course has got to grow in a little bit, trying to get ready for the uh, uh, for the, the big tournament that they were having last summer. We walked away going, man, that golf course is in great shape. I, I don't even know what they're seeing. but Keep, keep rubbing it in, man. Just uh, No, keep, I'm, not, keep I'm, I'm not trying to be like that. I mean, I just, you know, from a comparison standpoint. Um, I would have caddied it for was, you. You would have? Yeah. I should have asked. Yeah. You should Although, ask the, them to get us uh, on across the street here soon. Yeah. You know, I really, really want to play Mossy Oak. And I'm going to. But it's so hard for me because Old Waverly is, of all the golf courses that I've ever played, um, it's certainly top five, maybe top three. And if I go there, it's like I want to play that golf course. i gotta, I got to do a trip sometime, I, we, whatever, where we play both. It's like I, I – and, and maybe I just don't know what I'm missing with Mossy Oak because – as that course continues to grow in, they say it just get, it's getting better and better and better. But it's hard for me to go, I'm going to go to West Point and I'm going to play golf, but I'm not going to play Old Waverly. Just a, a gem in the state of Mississippi. What, uh, what the Bryan family uh, has, has done for golf in the state of Mississippi is uh, it's unrivaled. And it is absolutely spectacular. Man, this state is... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong here. I like to speak in hyperbole some, but I really do feel okay. like this state is one of the most underrated golf states in the country. Uh, as far as quality courses that don't get talked about. I mean, we've got two tour events here, and what, a couple of top 100 courses that have come and gone off the list, depending on what year you look at. And nobody really points at Mississippi as a good golf state, but as far as quality of courses... I mean, I grew up in a golf state, and not much different. Rippy, would you I agree would with that? I definitely agree in the sense in terms of youth talent. Yeah, you, you've been banging that drum for a while. The, I mean, youth put, golf I, in Mississippi is on is, is absolutely on an incline. I th- I played. High school golf with kids in the Jackson area. Granted, most of them were much younger than me. Just in the Jackson area, off the top of my head, I can name eight that are at D1 SEC programs, and I think all are SEC. Yeah. And, you know, really, it's, I mean, it's courses spread all over the state. So, Borky, you mentioned tour events. Obviously, Country Club of Jackson is, is hosting a PGA event. You've got Fallen Oak hosting a Champions Tour event. Old Waverly doesn't hold a regular tour event, but they've been in the mix for for USGA championships and have hosted a U.S. Women's Open and had what the it was the U.S. Women's Amateur last year. Um, it, it's just spe- and that doesn't even speak of uh, our friends at uh, at Dancing Rabbit in in Philadelphia with multiple courses there uh, that are just spectacular. It, it's scattered Hattiesburg, you know, like the the kind of the the Pine Belt area overall. I've never played Hattiesburg Country Club or Canebrake, but I've heard people say that Hattiesburg Country Club, uh, which I think is where the, the tournament that is now in Jackson was originally played, is you know just a gem. And that, that's one that I want to play one day that uh, haven't had the chance to do so. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, certainly there are states that have more 
elite courses than Mississippi does, but and th- there are some great golf courses in this uh, in this state. No question about that. Uh, mentioned to you that the C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. If you missed it yesterday in the 5 o'clock hour, I had a great conversation with Jeremy McLean. He is the uh, the athletics director at uh, Southern Miss, and we're going to play that for you coming up uh, about 20 minutes from right now. Uh, he had some really interesting things to say about Southern Miss, about their recovery efforts as they uh, they bring players back. We also talked about... Um, Kind of the, the the status of uh, group of five schools going forward, uh, the expansion of a, a college football playoff potentially to eight teams, which is what he said he wants. And we also talked about some of the ideas that have been floated around of uh, the possibility of uh, Conference USA and the Sunbelt Conference uh, merging or forming some sort of a, par- a partnership. Uh, so some really interesting stuff uh, with him. Uh, Luke Johnson will join us in the 5 o'clock hour today as well. We'll talk some Southern Miss football as uh, those guys have uh, kind of come back to campus and are getting ready to uh, begin their workouts as well. Major League Baseball. Um, you know, Jeff Passan with a, a really good story uh, that dives in and looks at the numbers and really examines the difference between what the owners want and what the players want, and it puts dollar figures on it. And... The amount of money that we're talking about Major League Baseball and the owners losing to play an 82-game season versus a 48-game season, which is what the owners seem to be uh, kind of zeroing in on, is just not that much money when you're talking about professional sports leagues. I mean, if we're talking about our retirement accounts or salaries for normal, everyday people, it's a lot of money. But when you're talking about professional sports, it's not that much money, and yet the owners seem to be digging their heels in. We'll see what it costs them in the, uh, in the long run. Um, Mark Emmert has inserted himself into the college football story once again, which is fascinating because he has almost no power over college football. Uh, We have punishment from the NCAA for a college basketball program, and it's not one named LSU or Kansas or any of the other Blue Bloods. It is Oklahoma State. And you've got some college basketball writers, uh, Gary Parrish in particular at uh, CBS Sports, that says the news that came for Oklahoma State today is bad news moving forward for programs like Auburn and LSU and Southern Cal and Kansas and Arizona. So we'll get into that as well. And then also some of the challenges that TV networks are going to have as we go into what presumably is going to be a busy fall in terms of sports and sports on television. All of that coming up with you this afternoon. Plus, we'll have some fun. We'll uh, we'll do some grilling talk and some food talk. Uh, looking forward to being with you until 6 o'clock on this Friday. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. American economic news pretty good today as well. In addition to all that other stuff, and we won't spend any time on this, but uh, the Dow was up like 3.5% today and the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ were both up and uh, the jobless claims numbers I think shocked everyone when they, uh, they came out today. 
uh, actually added, what, almost 3 million jobs uh, as opposed to uh, the predicted losing 7 million jobs. Uh, so pretty, pretty good day in the uh, financial and job world uh, today uh, also. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us on this Friday afternoon. I, I guess the baseball story is the biggest story of the day. Borky, would you agree with that? I think so, yeah. I mean, that 48 number is staggering to me. Uh, I asked the question, and, and you'll give the listeners the details, but if you're playing a 48-game season, why are you playing a season at all? I mean, that just feels like a waste of everybody's time, but that's the biggest question I have from here. So the college j- baseball season. Shorter. I mean, that's It's shorter than, than, than State and Ole Miss would have played this year. Yeah, what, 56 games 56. in the regular season in college baseball. You're used to 162 in the big leagues. Uh, players have kind of zeroed in on 82 is the number that they want to see. Uh, we got the report at the beginning of the week that uh, owners were looking at 50 to 60 games, and now 48 seems to be the number. ESPN story from Jeff Passan. Maybe the biggest quote in this story, uh, uh, this was, uh, I guess, an anonymous source. One person familiar with the thinking of the owners said, quote, the owners are not going to agree to more losses. Close quote. They've grown used to winning. Their position, as of now at least, is as rigid as the players. They are happy to play 48 games. According to the story from Jeff Passan, the players believe that the owners are bluffing, that the specter of a forced season, a further labor discord going into 2021 of this sport, so broken it couldn't figure out how to split up billions of dollars during a pandemic will ultimately bring the league back to the table. If Major League Baseball calls the bluff of the union, then players will make a total of $1.2 billion this year. That's spread out over all the players in the big leagues. They could take a 40% pay cut on their full pro rata at 82 games and still make more money than they would over the 48 games, but the union is apparently not going to budge. So... Here's kind of the nuts and bolts uh, of this story. The players are going to hold out for an 82-game season, and here is why. They think that between the time it might take to settle on a deal and the September cutoff, an 82-game season might be the most that players can hope for, seeing as they would settle for uh, a full pro rata of 1,230 games. The projected losses from the owners is... $787 million in an 82-game season. The projected losses owners would face in a 48-game season is $461 million. So you're looking at $325 million difference, or $326 million difference. And that's total, right, over all of the owners combined? Over all of the owners which is $10.8 million per team, which Jeff Passan says is the cost of a decent number four starter. See, that's a lot of money, so that's nothing to those people. That that is a a sort of off day in the stock market to those people. It's like that old saying that $1,000 is not a lot of money to have, it's a lot of money to owe. That's sort of the same thing. I mean, $10 million is a 
more money than I can imagine. But to the person who owns the Dodgers, the Giants, the Red Sox, they, they could lose that money today and it would not affect their lifestyle one single bit. And the damage it's going to do to their sport. For, for $10 million, what's going to happen moving forward with their sport if that's why they won't budge? That's insane. And, and it is important to remember that we're not talking about them losing only $10 million per franchise. Right. They're saying that this is an additional $10 million per franchise or an additional $326 million total on top of the $3.5 billion that they are already set to lose. So about $3.8 billion, all told, spread out over 30 franchises. That, that's what you're looking at to play the 82-game season and to hold on to some semblance of Major League Baseball fans. I mean, you would think such supposedly brilliant business people would understand that sometimes you have to make short-term sacrifices for, for long-term success. I mean, yeah. I've put a couple grand now, at least, into my home, and the value has gone up a lot more than that. I mean, it sucked in the short term because I am out a couple thousand dollars I didn't really have, but if I go to sell my house, it's going to pay off for me. Same thing here. I mean, it's yes, it is $10 million on top of all of the losses, but if you don't do this, try to sell your house in two years. Good luck. What do you see with this, Rippy? I mean, any, are we missing anything? No, I mean, it is worth pointing out that net worth is not the same thing as cash in hand. And I think that's true. You're probably underestimating it a little bit at how it would affect some of the smaller market franchises. But is it enough to, like, completely be unwilling to budge to the 82 game season? No, not at all. It's just silly, but it's kind of what I've said the whole time. So you have been on top of this, man. You said from day one that the owners were, were, were looking to, you know, not seeing the short term. Yeah. But I also was uh, cautiously optimistic the whole time that they will play, and uh, I don't what really feel that way What lesson did you anymore. learn, Rippy? <laughs> I mean, I hope, I hope, hope you I don't get even know, it. Even hey, if they take my life 48, advice, man. Be optimistic about nothing. It works. But even if they even if they play a forty-eight game season, I don't even know if I would feel right because that's just I don't know. So far from legitimate. We talked about we talked like, about the NBA and maybe getting an asterisk around their champion. What does a forty-eight game season champion get? I mean. It's not. I would even consider them. I would still consider the, the Nationals the world champs. I would. I would. This wouldn't even be like a real thing. Yeah, I. Uh, sorry, I just got choked. He's <coughs> dying over here. Jeez, I took a drink Georgia of water. And it went down the. Uh, went down the uh, the wrong pipe. Vodka no, I mean, water bottle will do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wow, the um, uh, man. yeah, the Yankees are sitting there with twenty-seven World Championships all time, and I would love to see the Yankees win a World Series. I don't know if it'd be worth the grief of going all, you know, for for everyone. Well, I mean, it's like twenty-seven and a half, actually. Yeah, people would, but I think people are going to hold on to that regardless of who wins it. I mean, if if you had a small market team that had a good run for fifty games. People would be like, well, yeah, I mean, they win it all, but, I mean, it's not like it was a real season. They couldn't have maintained that forever. So, I don't know. I mean, I'd rather see 48 games in the playoffs than no baseball at all. I mean, if those are if those are the only two options, I, I'd rather see that. But an 82-game season is half the season. 
And I think 82 games would feel legitimate. It's obviously not exactly the same as what we're used to in Major League Baseball, but if you play half the year and everybody understands that, okay, we dealt with a global pandemic, among all the other things that are going on in the United States during this kind of crazy time, I don't think people would be like, well, that wasn't a legitimate season. 82 is enough for it to be legitimate, isn't it? And the games would have had a nice little sense of urgency as well. And if you remember last year, what was it? The playoff field after 100 games only changed by one team in the remaining 60. so Or 62. So the playoffs were basically set, at least by who made it and who didn't, after 100 games. So 82, 100, not that much difference. It would have felt legitimate and it, it would have felt real, especially considering the circumstances. My question is, if they do happen to play a 48-game season, does that have any kind of um, chronic damage to Major League Baseball? I, I know they, they found a way to play, but 48 games is such a – it's almost a joke. Does that impact – fanhood or anything like that? Does it impact the sport in any sort of way after this year because that's the only thing they could come up with and agree upon? No, I think just having a season, people would forget about it and you'd cry on one and there'd probably be an asterisk with it, but for the most part, people would just be happy they had a season. I do agree with that, but I also would think, wouldn't that get people thinking, okay, they crowned a champion after 48, and obviously that's not enough, but is this the point where you say 162 is too many? I think the idea. I I get what you're saying there, hey dad. But I think the idea of cutting the season back, given the losses that the owners are doing, going to endure this year, is that's just folly at this point. There's no way they're going to give up. Even even if you went from 162 to 148, and owners had to give up seven home dates, they're like, hold on a second, we just lost, you know, thirty, forty, fifty million dollars per franchise. Heck no, we're not giving up seven home dates for the foreseeable future. We've got to do everything we can to generate as much revenue as uh, as is possible. Uh, I think the, the whole reducing the regular season from the crazy 162 is, uh, is no good. Jeremy McClain, interview from yesterday on the Farm Bureau phone line. That's when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Uh, happy to welcome back on the Farm Bureau phone line, Jeremy McClain. He's the athletics director at Southern Mist and is on your radio right now. Jeremy, it feels like we're making making progress. We're not there yet, but things are trending in the right direction. Uh, w- would you concur with that statement? I would. Yeah. First of all, I appreciate you guys having me on. But I, I, well, I thank you for your time. That. You bet. I would. I would agree. You know, I think. Um, there's been some really positive things that have happened over the past few weeks that make me feel, you know, of course I got asked the question every day, if not, um, if not every day, every week about what I thought and where we were and what was going to happen. You know, a month ago, I, I, I was a whole lot less optimistic than I am today about getting to a point where we can see some type of normal, uh, you know, in college athletics moving into the fall. There are no givens, of course. There's a long time between now and uh, early September. Um, but I do feel a whole lot better about it today, and I think we continue to see uh, positive signs. Absent, I feel like you have to put a caveat on almost every question you ask and almost every statement you make. But, but if we say absent any significant spike in numbers, any sort of a major outbreak, are you of the belief that when the season begins the first weekend in September, 
we are going to have fans in seats in stadiums? Yes, I believe that. Um, you know, I think the question really, and, and again, uh, depending on the, you know, assuming there's nothing, nothing drastic happens, and we continue <laughs> in the right direction, I think, I think that we will see fans in the stands, and I think we'll see, you know, some some level of normal. I think the question is just going to be, you know, based on guidelines, what are we going to be able to do? Is it going to be a limited number of fans? Are we going to have to, uh, you know, is there going to be a capacity number that makes sense? You know, I saw yesterday where uh, the governor of Texas, uh, you know, m- moved them to a point where they could have 50% capacity in stadiums. Right. So, you know, I think it's just going to, it's a matter of how far along can we get between now and September. Um, you know, it's, and that's why doing things today are, you know, that's very important for people to continue to do the things that we've been doing to try to protect everyone. Um, and so, but I think we will, I think we will get to a point where we see fans in the stadium. It's just a matter of how many. So have you or the financial people uh, in your athletics department done any modeling in terms of percentage of capacity and what that could mean for revenue numbers? I'm, I'm modeling in my sleep, I tell you. It is, uh, you know, contingency plan on top of contingency plan. We absolutely have modeled out everything from worst-case scenario to, you know, if we if we are back to normal, what does that look like? And really everything in between. And, you know, I, I think best-case scenario, if we're back to normal or close to normal, we're still all going to see a significant hit in revenue to our budgets. I mean, for us, we would project that out now to be somewhere between 7 to 10%. And, and you know, that's a, that's a sizable chunk. When, you, when you're in a department that is, you know, that runs a pretty lean shop, um, you start talking about 7 to 10% across the board, that's a, that's a significant hit. And, so, and that's a best-case scenario. So if we begin to move down that list to scenarios that are more difficult, then we really begin to have to make some difficult decisions about how we try to balance our budget. What what does that even look like? I mean, I, I had a a conversation with Keith Carter at Ole Miss last week, and you know he was kind of talking about projections of you know fifty percent capacity cost us ten million dollars, twenty five percent capacity cost us nineteen million dollars, and he said that, that he said to his CFO, "What what do you want me to do with this?" Right. We, so, so how do you I – mean, you said you're modeling it and playing out worst-case scenarios. What do those look like? I mean, the answers are well, hard, aren't they? They are. And there's not any – and I'll be honest with you, and I'm not afraid to say, I don't have, I don't have all the answers right now. Because yeah. if we get into a scenario we're talking about 20 and 30%, then we – you know, it's, it's, it's staff members and it's, and it's uh, limiting maybe scholarships in some places. It's – you know, it's playing fewer games than we we have to, um, than than we're you know the maximum. So so it, yeah. it gets really difficult once you start talking about twenty and thirty percent of your budget. And you know, I'm I, I'm with Keith on that. It's 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 right now it's hard to wrap your brain around what that really looks like from a standpoint of how you function, the way people expect your athletic department to function, and and that may not be possible if we get to that point. All right, so let me about ask you about this. There, there's been some conversation. It's happened in the past, and, and I feel like it has, has resurfaced about some sort of uh, alliance or merging of Conference USA and the Sun Belt. And, and I think the reason it's a, 
an interesting conversation is just because of the the geographic piece that seems like it would make so much sense. Do you think there's momentum toward that conversation becoming less hypothetical and more real? Uh, is it something that in your mind would make sense for the two leagues to try and figure out a way to, to help everybody save money? You know, I, let me ask the first part of that question first. I, I don't think there's momentum right now for that to, you know, there, there's been no discussion or real conversation about that. And I understand why it continues to come up because you, again, you start looking at cost of travel and, and, and especially for programs like us who are centrally located kind of within the footprint of both of those leagues. And so I, right. I understand why it continues to come up. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's a strong push for that right now. Uh, I don't, there's no momentum. There's been no conversation. You know, I, I'll say that all of this, I think, will, whether it's a year from now or a couple of years from now, I think we'll see some dominoes happen around the country. And whether that begins to affect, you know, our, our, um, our footprint or not, we'll, you know, we'll see. But, you know, I think right now we're, right now we're in a good place. Um, outside of the fact that obviously the financial difficulties we're dealing with, but, you know, as, as every, you know, every department's different. Every institution's different. People are dealing with different things. And so there's no way to determine what other institutions in these leagues or in other leagues, what decisions they're going to have to make and what type of domino effect that will cause. And so I would never say anything's out of the question, but, I, but I'll, I'll tell you there's no momentum for that right now. As an athletics director at a place like Southern Miss, which is, I mean, if nothing else, financially different than the Autonomy Five conferences. Yeah. There have been people that have kicked around the idea in the past that college football really ought to maybe split into two divisions so that there is a legitimate chance for a national champion to come from a school like Southern Miss. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I do. I, I'm not in favor of that, and, 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 and I get why that comes up. The, the, the revenue and the, the budget numbers have, you know, the gap has continued to grow. And, and so I understand the uphill battle. Um, but I think what really needs to happen is we need to give the group of five schools an opportunity to compete on the field. And so I would absolutely be in favor of an 18 playoff in football that would allow the group of five winner, the champion, to be part of the playoff. And, you know, we can, we can figure out the rest of that and how, how you award the rest of them, but reserving one of those spots for a group of five champion. And I think we've seen over the past few years, you can pick out a team. Uh, these teams go, once they get into bowl games, go and compete at a high level. And so I don't think you would be diluting the playoff to do that, which would be some people's argument. What I think you would be doing is giving an opportunity to the group of five that 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 we deserve, to be honest with you. And and so for me, I, I would not be in favor of any type of separation or um and I know you're specifically talking about football, but there could be ramifications in other sports. Uh, yeah. but I would be in favor of trying to figure out a way to give access to the group of five where there can be some competition on the field. And and you know like like we do in other sports, let's let's decide it on the field, and and I think that would be um, the best case scenario for the sport. Last thing, only a minute and a half or so left, but but I kind of want to stick with that idea. Do you think it will be in order to have the playoff expansion to get to eight teams? 
is there enough power among group of five commissioners, athletics directors to say, you, you've got to have our votes to be able to do this unless there's some sort of a breakaway, and that's a non-negotiable. We, we get a spot. Is there enough power uh, among the leaders of the group of five conferences to pull that off? You know, to be determined. I'll tell you, that's a difficult okay. task. We're going to have to, and, and and in my scenario, it would be an 18 playoff uh, where one of those slots, you know, like I said, you can give. It's guaranteed. Absolutely. Yeah, well, guaranteed. You give the other five leagues, um, you know, their champion and then two at-larges. So I think that for that to happen, to answer your question, we have to have the support of a, of a, of, of some, at some level, in, in, in the Autonomous Five group. We have to have some support or we won't. I don't think we'll be able to get it done. And I do think there's some level of support there. And we'll see how far we can get down that road. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I, I don't think we can do it by ourselves. Uh, it, it will take um, it'll take some support from some people in, in, in the conferences, uh, the Autonomous Five conferences. And so we'll see how that plays out. Um, but I do think there's some level of traction with expanding that playoff, and, and, and I think that's a possibility. Jeremy, really appreciate your time and your insight. Look forward to talking to you again soon. I appreciate you guys, man. Stay safe. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, wrapping up the 3 o'clock hour. First hour of the show, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. The interview with Jeremy McClain was late in the show yesterday, so we didn't have a lot of time to uh, to kind of circle back and talk about it. What did you guys make of, of some of what he had to say? I, I thought he was incredibly candid. Uh, I thought he was straightforward with us on kind of his thoughts with regard to you know Conference USA and the Sun Belt. Really fascinated by uh, his thoughts with regard to uh, going to an eight-team playoff, and what he said at the end, where um, you know, in order for the group of five to be able to get one of those guaranteed spots in an eight-team playoff, there was going to have to be some support from autonomy five conferences, which makes sense that you know the the leverage that they have or the power that they carry is big enough that it's going to have to be an invitation for y'all to come join us, for lack of a better way to describe it, than, oh, you have to let us in. So so what stood out for you guys? It was that. the um, When you asked about the, a separation between the two, it was a hard no. Uh, and I'm, I guess I'm not surprised by that, but also I wonder where there would be more money. Because... If you do expand the playoffs to eight and you give a group of five team an automatic bid, that would be a big payday for that team and their conference payout would be great. But would there not be the potential to make more money in a broken-off playoff where you have 16 teams make it? It, Wouldn't there be a – the money would be less on the surface for like the one team – that makes the college football playoff versus whatever you would call this, but wouldn't a group of five national championship playoff 
sell pretty well and give you more opportunity to play more meaningful football that ultimately would make you more money. I'm just I was surprised by that that hard no and I'm sure he's done a lot more research into it for his program than I have, but I was surprised by that. Here here would be the question that I have working at. I mean on the surface I would think yeah, I mean you ought to be able to get a TV deal for a, a group of 5 playoff and national championship game but when you look at the way ESPN Fox, CBS Sports NBC, whatever value group of five TV deals in comparison to how they value power five TV deals I mean it is at best pennies on the dollar and in terms of the value of a group of five playoff my, my my guess is that it still would be valued at, at pennies on the dollar. And so I, I do think it becomes an economic question, though. I mean, right, hey, Daddy? I mean, it is fair enough. If you want to say to the group of five schools, we really think this would be the best way for you, and here's what we mean by that. Here's a check with a comma in it, or with a couple of commas in it. And maybe it's an eight-figure check that's going to be distributed, and you're going to be guaranteed more money than you are right now. Otherwise, what's the benefit? Just so somebody can can carry a trophy off the field at the the end of the season. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm really not a big fan of of expanding the playoffs to include access. I, you know, I, I want the four best teams. So there's got to be a way. It can't just be good enough that you're the best group of five team. There's got to be some sort of other caveat in there for me to make it work. Like the first thing I thought of was you have to have beaten a power five team in the regular season. I don't care if it's the worst team. I don't care if you beat Vanderbilt or Washington or Oregon State or, or somebody like that. You got to beat a power five team. If you're a, if you're a team that didn't beat a power five team, you're not eligible. Other than that, I don't know. I said I just I don't like the idea because honestly, you know. At that point, if we're letting a group of five champion in, then you're probably letting a nine and three, eight and four Pac-12 champion in. Maybe that doesn't work for me. Matt, so, maybe I don't know. Maybe a, as an anomaly, but then you're penalizing them for the not being able to get games at Power Five schools. Yeah, but they all, almost everybody has a game with a Power Five school, don't they? Is there any group of five team that doesn't play one Power Five team? There has to be one. There can't be one. You're just saying you got to go win some of those. Yeah. Now, was it you Cincinnati do, you gonna, last year that would have been, or I guess they're one spot behind who would have been, but still Cincinnati would have been in the running, and they got beat by Ohio State by a million points. Do you really want them playing Ohio State in a playoff? Right, and, and then I, there is some penalty involved because they're gonna, they're going to be unlikely to get home games. That's going to be tough for for a team like Southern Miss. I mean, they get Mississippi State at home, but that's about all, that's. There's not a lot of Power Five teams lining up to come to Hattiesburg, and that's the case. Around the country, for the most part. So, but when you do have those opportunities, if you could take advantage of it, then I think, yeah, they could, they could, I could see them in the playoff. Otherwise, no, not for me. You know, it's, I don't want this to ever be like an ivory tower conversation, but Jeremy McLean was a hard no on that. When we've talked to Luke Johnson, who played at Southern Miss in the past about it as well, he's been hard no. He's like, yeah, it's, it's not what we want. We want an opportunity to compete like everybody else. My only thought in that is, does that opportunity really exist in the current format? 
or are we just saying it exists because technically you have a chance, but in reality, I don't know if there is a chance. Welcome back. Friday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, thanks for being with us on this Friday afternoon. You can be a part of the show on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Experiencing fever, cough, sore throat, or shortness of breath, C Spire and UMMC are partnering to offer free COVID-19 screening through the C Spire Health app for all Mississippians experiencing symptoms. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. So... News on the uh, the college basketball front today. Penalties handed down to Oklahoma State, who was not the worst offender, but is the first program to get its punishment as a result of the FBI scandal. And the NCAA, it appears, made its intentions loud and clear earlier today when it punished Oklahoma State's men's basketball program with a postseason ban for this coming season. Oklahoma State first program to be served with punishment by the Committee on Infractions based on results of the FBI probe. The sanctions stem from a level one unethical conduct charge against former Cowboys associate head coach Lamont Evans, who was one of 10 who were charged in uh, September of 2017 and the government's investigation that led Evans to ultimately serving three months in prison in the summer of 19. Have we really been talking about this for three years? Isn't that wild? Do you remember the day where uh, it broke that FBI guys were raiding? uh, What was it? It was obviously Adidas and then arresting college basketball coaches. Do you remember that day? Well, there there was an agent's office in New York, right? Yeah, that's where it started. Chuck Pearson getting arrested at all? I, mean, I remember that, that. That was just. I had. I, we don't. Rippy and I had not been on the show long. I want to say when that happened. Trying to wrap your mind around that happening in real time. I want to go back and find that show actually to just see how we were reacting in real time to the fact that college basketball coaches were getting arrested. Oklahoma State coach Mike Boynton was never charged in the case. He took over the program in the spring of 2017. It was previously an assistant for one year at Oklahoma State alongside Lamont Evans. Both were hired by the former head coach at OSU, Brad Underwood, who is now at Illinois. And Underwood was neither mentioned nor charged in the case. So Evans was accused of unethical conduct after federal wiretaps and undercover videos caught him engaging in schemes to recruit players to schools that he was employed by. The end game was to link prospects with then-runner Christian Dawkins' sports agency, which was unknowingly being funded by the FBI uh-oh, in order to prove the government's case. Evans was caught doing this while at South Carolina and at Oklahoma State. He was involved in an impermissible payment to former Oklahoma State player Jeffrey Carroll. He pled guilty to the charges that were against him, which included accepting at least $18,150 and potentially as much as $46,000 in bribe money. Oklahoma State, by the way, 
has a commitment from a guy by the name of Cade Cunningham, who is the number one prospect in the class of 2020. But Oklahoma State is now not eligible for the postseason. Will that matter to Cade Cunningham? I guess we'll have to wait and see on that. Here's the list of penalties given to Oklahoma State. And remember, Oklahoma State was kind of a bit player in this FBI investigation. Yes, there was the Lamont Evans piece, but that's really the only major penalty we're talking about here. Or, I'm sorry, the, the only major infraction. Now, it was a one big level, level one, one infraction. Have. Say what? They have one. They have one level one in all this. Kansas has five. So one level one against Oklahoma State. They got three years probation, a one-year postseason ban, a $10,000 fine plus 1% of the men's basketball program budget, which was self-imposed already, a reduction of basketball scholarships, reduction of official visits, prohibition of unofficial visits for a couple of weeks in the fall of 2020 and fall of 2021, prohibition of basketball telephone recruiting for one week in this coming year, reduction of recruiting days, and a 10-year show cause for Lamont Evans. And, you know, the the, the reduction in a bunch of, you know, all that other stuff is kind of like paperwork. Like the university self-imposed, okay, we're going to dock ourselves a couple of scholarships, we're going to tighten the recruiting calendar, we're going to limit the number of phone calls we can make, we're going to limit the number of on-campus visits and unofficial visits and off-campus visits and whatnot. Those are standard. Everybody puts those things in their their self-imposed penalties. But then you hope that that's good enough. And Gary Parrish on Twitter earlier today said that, quote, Oklahoma State is the first, but obviously won't be the last, and said that these penalties for Oklahoma State are a bad sign for Auburn, LSU, Southern Cal, Kansas, and Arizona. Would you agree with that sentiment? Certainly feels like it. This is it for the NCAA. This is the moment. Either they are going to finally follow their own guidelines and not just sort of pick and choose what they want to do. They gave this to a team with one level one. You've got a team coming up with five level ones. If their punishment is not worse, it's time to find a new model. It's been time to find this, a new hey, model, Dad. but this is this has got to happen. So, so in terms of scalability, should the penalty for, for Kansas, who has five times the level one violations... Should the punishment be 5x? Logically, yes, but I don't know if you can make somebody have a five-year postseason ban. That would, I mean, I don't think you can kill the Kansas basketball program, but my gosh, that feels like it would get really, really close. So you I don't know. They're also not going to do a five-year postseason ban to a blue blood in their biggest moneymaker. That's my point, though, is that you've set this, this standard now. You have to follow it, but are they going to? I see no way that they will. Did they even set a standard though? Because they're known for just having punishments that, that kind of just come. But off that's the my cup. point. Is is this is so? This is. I mean, it feels harsh to be totally honest. And if they don't follow up with it, I mean, at the very least, will they give Kansas a one-year postseason ban? 
If they don't do that, then what are we talking about? If Oklahoma State gets hit worse than Kansas does, despite the fact that Kansas has a lot more violations, it's just it's just, just silly. Needs to be at least two in Lawrence. Needs to be at least two in Baton Rouge as well. I did find it funny. Uh, it seemed like and, Oklahoma and, and Arizona and Arizona. I mean, my goodness! If this leads to a postseason ban in Stillwater, uh, the head coach saying what he did should lead to a lot more. And well, Borky, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but it. And I'm not doing this by going back and looking. I, this is kind of off the top of my head. But Oklahoma State and Southern Cal, if I remember correctly, feel kind of similar in terms of what was going on. Auburn, I think Bruce Pearl's going to be okay in this. Auburn may get a postseason ban, but I don't think Bruce Pearl ultimately is going to get in trouble in this. Will Wade's going to get in trouble. Yes. Bill Self is going to get in trouble. And Sean Miller is going to get in trouble. That's what I, now I'm I'm saying that like it, I'm it's definitive, but that makes sense to me given what Lamont Evans just got. Yeah, that if they remain consistent, which you know applied joke here, that would be that would be the case. I did find it funny if you read Oklahoma State statement today, they said without saying, um, if this is coming to us, they better get it worse than us. Hmm. One of Sean Miller's individual punishments should be 30 minutes in a sauna before he comes out and coaches. <laughs> so that he's already sweaty when he hits the Just floor. sweat it out already, awesome. yeah. Yeah, he can't We don't change. have to wait for the under-16 timeout to see him in, in full lather. You're not allowed to drink anything for two hours before the game. This is a pretty big deal, though, right? I mean, that, that's why we're, we're talking about it today, not just because it's one of the few sports stories we actually have, but the implications that come with this, if they're consistent, uh, could really do damage. I mean, to two SEC programs on top of that, especially LSU, if they are consistent with this, LSU basketball is in real trouble. Real trouble. And Borky, here's what you got to remember. To most people, 2 plus 2 is 4. 100 times out of 100. But to the NCAAs, 2 plus 2 sometimes is 4, but sometimes it's 3, sometimes it's 7, sometimes it's 11, and sometimes it's only 1. And so you're expecting the NCAA to give you 2 plus 2 equals 4 five, six, seven times over to get the same answer every time? Feels like that's putting a lot of faith in an organization that not many people have faith in. Tuesday on the island, not much going on. The parties are all over. The end it just passed on. The jungle drums are beating. With the tails so, hey guys, what day this weekend is Pastalaya? Uh, tomorrow. Okay. So, what, uh, so you plan to, is this dinner, like afternoon or lunch or what? Dinner. So, that way I don't have to, you know, start doing anything super early. Okay. So, eat at six, start prepping around lunchtime, something like that? Oh, it's not that much prep. I'll start prepping around 3 4 o'clock. I thought you told me it was like a four-hour cooking process. Who told you? Th- I didn't say that. I thought that's what you said. No, I did, I did not say that. No. 
All right. My God, that would be some over. That'd be some mushy pasta, man. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. So, is it a faster process than regular jambalaya? Uh. No, it's it's about the same. Look, I, mean, I, I think I think my comparison here. So, I mean, Jane, like if we're doing quick jambalaya, we'll do like the boxes atarans, and I mean yeah. it's just like regular dinner prep time, and it's good. Yeah. But I think I. I Jane has an uncle that lives in Baton Rouge. I think I've mentioned him before. Like, true, legit Louisiana sportsman. Uh, hunts alligators, runs hoop nets for catfish so that he can get bait for his crab traps. You know, like, as legitimate Louisiana sportsman as it gets. And he had one of these 50-gallon cast iron pots. Oh, yeah. Where he did a massive thing of jambalaya and i think that's what i'm envisioning when i think about you doing jambalaya tomorrow afternoon as opposed to a pot yeah, of it yeah. on the stove i mean there's just there's just me my wife and two kids here i'm not cooking for the for for a whole tailgate crew or anything <laughs> yeah, i mean I'll, i might get a, a second plate if it's good i might go for a third but you know i don't think we're yeah. gonna i don't i don't think i and i gotta buy you know eight pounds of pasta or anything like that you um a couple whole chickens you like bolognese yeah, I make it. That's what goes in my lasagna. Well, why do you call it lasagna instead of bolognese? Because, well, bolognese is the sauce. It's not the the product. Yeah, but I mean, okay. I had fantastic bolognese last night. Where'd you go? A buddy uh, uh, went to a buddy's... Uh, very small, socially distanced uh, 40th birthday, just kind of hanging out a little bit on his back porch. And his wife picked up uh, carryout bolognese from Tarask, which uh, is a buddy of mine's restaurant uh, here in Oxford. Uh, John Stokes is an amazing chef. Never heard uh, of that. And place. It's, it's all pasta. Uh, my wife loves their uh, meatballs. They did, um, it was like a hummus with, with bread. Ooh. And these really, really good boiled peanuts that were like rolled around in parmesan and basil and some other stuff, and then oh. uh, bolognese was kind of the main course. It was it was spectacular. I've never heard of this. Is this a new restaurant? I mean, not that I'm super up to date uh, on Oxford, but you know, it has uh, it, it's kind of evolved. It's been in a couple of different locations, and they've really settled into a, a, a good spot on uh, on Jackson Avenue. Uh, he's got. I don't know, maybe half a dozen, ten tables inside, but primarily it's carryout. Okay. Uh, I say primarily, I, probably a mix of, of carryout and uh, and in-house dining as well. Um, just a just a really cool spot and uh, kind of it, it's one of those neat restaurant success stories. That's a little bit different than like your run-of-the-mill, just opened a new restaurant in a, a flashy location. But mm -hmm. uh, Stokes is super talented, so. You, I, I will direct you. So the next time you're in Oxford, and you're going back home that night, we'll call ahead and get you a carryout order that you can pick up and take back with you to Starkville. Done. There you go. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. So Borky, did you settle on brisket, or have you decided to uh, push that back a week? Oh, I'm going to do it. I, I'm worried about the weather. The plan is to do it Sunday, and I'm worried about uh, the weather uh, with this tropical storm that's. Coming up, it's pushing. I saw earlier today, here's a weatherman Borky here, uh, that the rain wall is actually going to be almost a full day ahead of the uh, eye of this storm. 
So we're going to get rain much sooner than the thing actually makes landfall on the coast. So oh. that could happen uh, Sunday. And so I'm worried about that now. I may have to push it up to tomorrow. Yeah, because like the central Mississippi projection for Cristobal was like mid-Monday, right? Right. But, and but so that was in torm- terms of kind of the eye of the storm as it petered out and made its way north? Yeah, the actual... Uh, it's not a hurricane, and it won't be, which is good. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, okay, tropical storm. Yeah, the tropical storm. Uh, but yeah, so the rain wall is just going to be way uh, ahead of what they're talking about actual uh, landfall. So that's just something to keep an eye on into the weekend, especially for you folks down on the coast. Rippy, what is your, uh, your, your food plan for the weekend? Do you have one, or is it just like, yeah, drive through, whatever? No, I don't really have one. I may grill. I just really hadn't gotten that far. I don't really have anything to do, so like... I can just kind of hit up Greg in the morning or something. It's uh, not a not a bad plan. You think steaks? Like air fried steaks? Is that the route you're going? Ooh, <laughs> sounds good. Well, I mean, if it's sunny Saturday, the point would be to uh, to throw it uh, throw it on the grill and kind of sit outside. I don't know. We did crawfish last weekend. I don't know what the plan is. The only reason we did air fried steaks is because one, we couldn't get the charcoal grilled to light, and two, it was cold as hell outside. I'm just saying it worked. I'm not saying I do it every time. Thought that was like your go-to. No, I only made it my go-to to ruffle some feathers after after y'all acted like I lit a match and just held it over the steak and it turned out okay. I mean, it was kind of yeah. unbelievable. I mean, there's even a steak button on the air fryer. Ah, yeah, dummy proof, right? Yeah, you try doing mean, Jello in the air fryer. Wonder how that would turn. Jello. Out. No, but I mean, I might throw some mm, stuff. Nice on crispy the Jello. Is there anything you wouldn't feel comfortable cooking in the air fryer? Uh, cake. That's uh, a good call. Ice cream. Okay, I mean, that's baking, obviously, genius. No, but I'm saying, like, in terms that, uh, of stuff that you would cook on the grill. Like, I'm, I'm asking a genuine question. This is not a let's put jello in the air fryer question and not me making fun of you for using the air fryer. Like, something that you would normally cook on the grill or normal people would normally cook on the grill. Is there anything that you would not feel comfortable putting in the air fryer? Mm, not that I can think of. I'm not saying something's not out there, but I can't really think of anything right now. Yeah. I mean, it was maybe well. fish that you would do on the grill. You might not. I think we did. We caught a bunch of crappie, and I think did those, and it turned out pretty well. So I don't know. Mr. West in Guntown, uh, hey Dad, says if you cook lasagna, cook it the right way. No bolognese. What what kind of sauce are you using, man? I I, I don't know, but hey Dad's. I mean, his antennas just went up, and he just got red faced and started breathing right. hard when you questioned his lasagna method. I, I literally, I'm trying to figure out like, so what are you what are you what are you putting in between the uh, the noodles there, man? I, I don't okay. I don't know. That, that that would be like saying, hey, if you uh. You cook the steak the right way. You don't need salt and pepper. Like, what? Jeff says, I have a large air fryer and have baked a cake in it. What? Jeff, on the C Spire text line, says that he has a large air fryer and he has baked a cake in it. Okay, so take cake off the list. Yeah. I'll trust it. I want to try you that. Want to try ice cream? Just Googled it, and that is definitely a real thing. Wow. K 
Ken and Ripley says, Biscuits turn out great. Love your show. Thanks for listening, Ken. We appreciate uh, you checking in with us this afternoon. Borky, can we do, can we open up the uh, – I don't know that this is necessarily a poll question, but ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. What are you doing on the grill this weekend? We Love were going to talk with Malcolm Reed from How to BBQ Right, and he had something come up – or actually had something go down. Had yeah. a pretty significant tree go down in his yard and uh, had to um, – Reschedule. So we'll talk with Malcolm soon, but I'd love to hear from you. What are you doing on the grill this weekend? I've been floating around this idea on that front that um, uh, maybe we'll debut next week as far as weekend cooking and whatnot goes. Uh, so yeah. I'd love to hear it. There you go. Um, grilling pizzas. I, I got to get pizza we don't, stone. I need to do that. Yeah. I w- we've done it a couple of times, and they've turned out really, really good. I-, I would, in fairness, I would put Jane's homemade pizzas up against just about anybody's anywhere. And we did barbecue chicken pizza, but did it in the oven earlier this week. But just on a pizza stone in the oven, and uh, it was great. I love getting that little bit of a smoky taste on your pizza when you do it on the uh, the grill on a on a stone. Why would you ever want I, that in lasagna? Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm hungry. Josh says giving the grill a break, crawfish hitting the pot this weekend, also bacon in the air fryer is life changing. We're talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us on this Friday afternoon. Luke Johnson will join us an hour from right now. We'll talk with him about what's going on in Hattiesburg as Southern Miss football tries to get back on track and start making preparations for the 2020 football season. Uh, Shams, who uh, now writes at The Athletic and covers the NBA, he is one of the two most plugged-in reporters covering the NBA. Is is that generally considered to be true? Adrian Wojnarowski and uh, Shams... How do you say his last name? Sham Sharania. Yeah, there. Oh, we'll go with Sharania. that. Sharania. Thank you. Uh, yeah, those are there the two. I, there are probably better writers than both of them that cover other sports, but as far as being on top of every single breaking news story, nobody in sports media does it better than those two. Really, really plugged in. So the uh, Players Association in the NBA held a call with its board and player representatives on well earlier today and approved the NBA's 22-team format for the resumption of the season. So think about that. The owners voted 29-1 to with only Portland voting against the plan to uh, of how they were going to restart. Which we determined and was mainly a a symbolic thing to stand in support with their franchise well, player. Correct. It was uncovered today they actually wanted 20 teams in, instead of 22. Yeah, they wanted to do the group stage thing. Yeah. And that's what Lillard wanted, and so, you know, seems like they made the vote to stand by their guy. They must be thinking that that's going to be some sort of a feather in their cap when it comes to trying to keep him in Portland 
once he becomes an unrestricted free agent? He just signed a new deal in the Did last he? year or so. So he's, 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 he, I mean, not that he doesn't have another deal coming at some point because he's still young, but it's, it's not a this year or next year kind of thing. And correct me if I'm wrong. He's already gone through the, the rookie phase thing, like to where, like that window where they, most of them leave small markets. Like he's re upped again. Like he's making 27 million this year. He's on, he's got a year left on the deal. Yeah. And he's expressed. In one way or another, some displeasure with how they've built rosters around him. So they've got to do whatever it takes to make sure that they can show him that you can win there. I know where you could win. No, that's Lakers exceptionalism right there. At its finest. <laughs> but my point remains the same. Portland probably felt like this was important to kind of stand by him. Yeah. And say so you're our guy. In but that's my point. Is that to, it, it wasn't a business decision in terms of they felt this was the best proposal. They were they were just trying to do right by their guy. Yeah. Uh, what was the vote among the players' association? Was it unanimous, Borky? It was unanimous. Yeah. So you had one franchise that just wanted a little bit different format, but they wanted to play, and they knew the vote was going to pass regardless. And every single player said, "Yep, let's do it." Hey, baseball! Let me tell you how it's done. <laughs> And the key, I mean, the, I'm sure this uh, had nothing to do with it. Uh, they're getting full salaries. Done. They took a 25% pay cut in May. I think they took one in April as well. But starting this month, uh, full salaries. So that there was no negotiation needed. Uh, if you're playing, we're paying you your full salary. You're welcome. Full stop. Done. A couple of things in play there. One... I think you see when you're dealing with a league that has a salary cap in place, it's easier to get the financial stuff done than what baseball has where there is no salary cap and the players are going to just continue to dig their heels in and try and stay away from that. And number two, I think you see the value of the NBA's television deals and and, and how much it outweighs in-person attendance. Mm-hmm. You, you also see the leadership of Chris Paul, who is the president of the Players Association. Really fascinating story that uh, Ramona Shelburne wrote at uh, ESPN about the relationship between Michelle Roberts, who is the director of the Players Association, Chris Paul, who's the president of the PA, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, and Bob Iger, who has become a mentor and close friend of uh, Chris Paul and has a great relationship with those other people as well, and how the four of them kind of got this thing back going and the leadership of Chris Paul that, in large part, he's learned from Bob Iger, who's now the executive chairman at Disney, who had stepped away but has kind of reinserted himself through this, uh, this crazy COVID-19 time. Here's what they talked about on the call today. A plan to play, and, and some of these things are still going to be negotiated going forward, especially the stuff with regard to the draft and when the season starts next year. There's a plan to play two to three exhibition games before the regular season begins. A maximum of 1,600 people will be on the NBA's campus at Disney's ESPN Wide World of Sports. There will be coronavirus testing every day and a minimum seven days of quarantine for a player who tests positive. In a noteworthy thing on that, apparently... From the beginning of the negotiations, the players really did not want that. I don't know if you've seen the corona test, if you're out there listening. They stick a swab up your nose. It looks brutal. And the players were like, no, we're not taking that. 
and through some other way they found uh, or they have access to testing that is less invasive, and so they're willing to take it every day. Players and family must stay inside the bubble, and families can enter after the first round. I guess that'll be entering the the bubble playing arenas. Oh, they're going to stay the with bubble, them. Period. Yeah, they'll be allowed to live there for the time. Yeah, but not a, but not until the playoffs start. Right after you start eliminating teams. Yeah. So when when you go from 22 teams to 16 teams and you take six of those teams and their personnel out of the mix, then families are going to be allowed to come in. Um, The December 1st start date for the 2020-21 season is unlikely, and the NBPA (coughs) plans to negotiate the date for the start of the new season. Because they were talking about ending on October 12th and starting a new season on December 1st, and so the players would have like two weeks off from the end of the playoffs until the camp started for the new season. Yeah, that's not happening. Uh, players Association will conduct coronavirus testing every night, likely mouth swabs or light nasal swabs, not the full invasive nasal swab, as Borky pointed out a second ago. We mentioned seven-day quarantine for a player who tests positive. There is a possibility that there could be crowd noise via the NBA 2K video game sounds, but they are still discussing creative opportunities for that. You like that, hey, Dad? I do. I play 2K, so yeah. There you go. What if you went back to like the old NBA jams where a guy hits a shot? Oh, it'd be fantastic. He's heating up. You hit three in a row. He's on fire! fire! Yeah. I think they'd probably prefer that because, like, if you had a completely silent arena, you it would be incredibly hard to broadcast an NBA game on television in terms of like what was said on the court. The poor guy with his hand on the on the delay button <laughs> doing a completely you know, empty arena. I feel I so bad you, for that guy. You'd have to you blo- broadcast it. remotely. You'd yeah. have to broadcast remotely <laughs> and not have any sound coming and just like maybe just like pump in some sneakers squeaking noise just so it seems a little bit normal. But there's no way on this earth you could allow that to happen, no. You know, the other thing, I mean, you think about NBA arenas and how they're different from college arenas. College arenas, there's no music playing, no band music or anything while game action is happening. Right. It has yeah. to be in timeouts. NBA arenas, they play music constantly. They, they yeah. use the organ or the you know computer soundboard to get the defense chant going and, you know, on, on both ends of the floor. So... And that they already do. I mean, they play music. If you go to an NBA game, during possessions, there's music playing. I mean, they really... Yeah. The in-arena people do a good job of like keeping atmospheres together by doing stuff like that, so it won't be abnormal. Uh, Borky mentioned paychecks return to full uh, this summer after taking a 25% reduction in May. There will be three people per player that are allowed as part of the family limit, a proposed 35-person travel party limit, and they're going to give teams a three-hour practice window. A couple of courts and weight rooms set up in a convention center, and they will have three-hour practice windows. I read earlier today, it's not in this uh, this article from Shams, but read earlier today that um, they're saying potentially five games per day. 
and a, a two-week window for every team to play eight games. Everybody's going to play at least one, ba- or I guess just one back-to-back. But uh, it's going to be a lot of basketball in a short period of time when uh, when they get started on July 31st. Love Sports Talk Mississippi with you. By the way, no blood testing going on in Orlando when they resume the season for materials that fall into the anti-drug policy. Well, there you go. We will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour with you next. Sports Talk Mississippi. I spent four Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. Don't forget you can uh, always get the uh, the show in podcast form wherever you get your podcast, whether it's from Apple or Google Play or Spotify or Stitcher or where, wherever it is that you get your podcast. You can get them. And don't forget uh, Thunder and Lightning and the Rebel Report for all the news that you want on Mississippi State and Ole Miss. You can watch what happens during the Sports Talk Mississippi show every day live or on demand on your computer or on your phone or on your tablet just by uh, going to supertalk.fm slash watch. Also, if uh, you've got the Twitter app on your phone uh, during the show's live airing, you can uh, just click on the video link there at the uh, top, assuming you follow us on Twitter at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Did you guys see this story from Dan Wolken yesterday? And and this is not it's no shot at Dan Wolken. I, I was actually pretty intrigued by this story. No, I did not. Mavericks owner Mark Cuban hired a pollster last month to gauge a possible presidential run. Mark Cuban is Infatuated with the idea of running for president during an appearance on a podcast called The Axe Files, which is hosted by David Axelrod, who is a CNN commentator and is uh, was an uh, official in the Obama administration. Cuban said as recently as last month, he commissioned a pollster to gauge his prospects as an independent candidate for president but ultimately decided not to pursue it further after seeing how he would match up in a race with President Trump and former Vice President Joe Biden. Here's what Cuban said. What they found out is I'd take some votes away from Donald Trump, particularly with independents. In a three-way between me, Biden, and Trump, I dominated the independent vote. I got like 77% of it and was able to take some of the votes away from Donald and some votes away from Biden. But in aggregate, I was only able to get up to 25%. From every which way, cross-tab, you name it, I had it analyzed and scrutinized every which way, projected, and they could only see me getting up to 25%. That's why I didn't pursue it further. That, to me, is far more interesting than a guy that just goes, oh, yeah, I might uh, I might give a run for president. Or, or when somebody asks the question, hey, would you consider running for president? I'm fascinated by the idea of Mark Cuban as a presidential candidate. 
2024 be the time to do it. Say what? Wouldn't 2024 be the time to do it? Yeah, but he can't win as an independent. Uh, Unless we have some sort of massive shift in our current political system, which is so two-party driven, you just can't win. I mean, the last time you only had a viable third-party candidate or viable independent candidate was 1992. And it cost um, George Bush re-election when Ross Perot ran. And allowed Bill Clinton to become president and then became a uh, two-term president. So he's either got to pick a party or never do it, huh? I I do think, and maybe it's just my little bubble that I live in, it does feel like, at least the people that I interact with, it has become increasingly more, I don't, both parties are insane, I'm somewhere in the middle, and they lost me along the way. Yeah, people say that. I don't think you are alone, and I don't think your friends are alone, Borky. But people will say that, and then they will vote for whatever party they've always voted for come election day. Uh, because they have to, right? I mean, we were given you know, I mean, two no, choices in the, the most previous uh, election, right. and there were a lot of people that held their nose and voted for Donald Trump, and there were a lot of people that held their nose and voted for Hillary Clinton. Uh, I'll, I'll take your write-in votes, America, if that's what you're trying to say. You know, the, here's the part that's fascinating to me. Because, Borky, to your point, I feel like... More and more, not exclusively, but more and more, you are hearing people that are in the general age range of, you know, 22 to 45 that are saying, fiscally, I'm conservative. Uh, Socially, I'm more liberal. But you, you, you can't get all of that from either party. The, the fascinating part to me, though, is Mark Cuban is an American success story, and he's really bright. And one of the things that he points out in this story is neither of the other candidates understand technology. He understands technology in a technological society. Back with you, 5 o'clock hour on this Friday afternoon. Welcome to the weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for being with us. Luke Johnson will join us in about half an hour. We'll talk with him on the Farm Bureau phone line. C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from C Spire Business. Features powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. With C Spire Business, it's easy to give your team the tools to get things done no matter where they are. Share files in seconds, chat on any device, meet virtually, and more. All over secure cloud-based solutions with dedicated local support. Get your organization remote work ready today at cspire.com slash business. We are glad to have you along for the ride. It is time right now for the College Football Fix. Which is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. When Ford was asked to help during the COVID-19 pandemic, they did. They manufactured 
face shields and masks and ventilators, and now they are ready to serve you with a great selection of the full Ford lineup, savings on all of them. Test drive the vehicle that you like the most. I like the F-150. And that's what I've been driving for a uh, long time. You can get behind the wheel of one test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. So, you love, Borky, you love these. You love these stories, don't you? Frustrate the crap out of me. Borky's headline says Why do sports writers keep running these stories? This one's from the New York Times. And there's actually some news here because Mark Emmert is talking to Congress about what football season is going to look like. And then a reporter told everybody about it. Your weekly, if not daily, reminder that Mark Emmert doesn't have any control over the football schedule. I just, it, what blows or me the away. the championship or anything else. It, People that cover the sport, like I get maybe the New York Times doesn't have a nuanced take on college football. They've got their own issues that they've got to deal with right now internally, so I understand the Mm. oversight there. (laughs) But like Saturday Down South, and all joking aside, it is a publication, albeit it's a publication that claims to cover college football. It is a publication, It is a publication, and their headline is NCAA considering the possibility that college football season could end earlier than scheduled. You cover the sport. How do you not know that they have no authority over that? Nick Saban has more of a say on college football season being shorter or longer than Mark Emmert does. The, The NCAA has no authority here. Greg Sankey, Bob Bowlesby, Larry Scott, those are who are in power here, not Mark Emmert, but a publication, air quotes, that covers the sport. Like, their whole brand is about college football, and they don't even know that he's got no authority here. And so people see these headlines, and they they, they think that it's like still oh, up it's in not the that air. They don't know. Yeah, no. Uh, I just want you to click the, the story. Well, I kind of know of the guy from the New York Times, and he covered politics in the South for a long time and, like, kind of covers sports from a thousand-foot view. And it's they, with Saturday Down South, something they don't know is just mindless aggregation. And so whatever they aggregated didn't know. Therefore, it just robotically appeared almost on their screen, and they don't act like they don't know. It's not that they don't know. So, it's just whatever they – that was not included in their aggregation, and since they are incapable of original thought, that's what was regurgitated onto the WordPress doc. So they know, and we know that they know, and we also know that they don't know, but that we don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I got, got two it. text messages today. Wait, is this real? Like, no. Hey, let, no. Let me be the voice not. of reason for a second. If you actually read the story and read Mark Emmert's quotes, like, I'm, I'm not talking about like the part of the story where they build around the quotes, but the actual quotes, he says a whole lot of it. Yeah, look, I... I don't know, it could be this, and it could be this, and it could be this, and nobody really knows, and blah, blah, blah. But that's not a headline-grabbing deal. This story from the New York Times says the president of the NCAA told congressional Republicans this week that the football season this fall could be shortened with the regular season perhaps ending by Thanksgiving because of the coronavirus pandemic. This is no different than if you or I or you wherever you happen to be listening, had an audience with Congress on one side of the aisle or other 
and said, you know, based on what I'm hearing, these are the scenarios that are in play. You got a bunch of schools that are going to they're going to end their fall semesters on Thanksgiving. Wouldn't surprise me at all if they uh, if they pushed up the college season, kind of collapsed it a little bit. Whether that's getting rid of a game or doing away with bye weeks or you know moving up the championship games. I got okay. So that's what it would be. Now, can we talk about the logistical ignorance of this statement? Like, what Mark Emmert was saying to Congress is, man, nobody really knows. Fair enough. But to go from nobody really knows to, you know, they really may just try and kind of end the season by around Thanksgiving, that's, that's willful ignorance. Because logistically, you can't just start the season on Labor Day weekend and then, you know what, we're just going to end it a little bit early. (sighs) We're just going to lop off the last three games of the regular season and then we'll uh, move the conference championship games up and do the playoff after that. We'll just wrap it all up by Thanksgiving. It's so dumb. Like, Like, there's no basis of... That's an actual possibility. Hey, Dad, can you quote the entire scene from Billy Madison? <laughs> I can't get the whole scene. But At no point did anything you say, you know, have any blah, 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 blah. You receive no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. We're all Everyone dumber for having this room heard this. Is dumber for having listened to you. I got a mailbag question about worst, best and worst Adam Sandler movies, and we concluded that he's telling you which two are the best, right? Because his production company's name is Happy Madison? That That's a good point, yes. Anyway. I still yeah. haven't gotten a mailbag question from you ever, even though I sent you like five. One I'll day, send one. I don't know if you'll you... be able to read them on the airwaves. SEC allows so, podcasts, you know. I mean, th- th- think for a second, though, about what Mark Emmert... At no point in your rambling, <laughs> incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. To which Adam Sandler responded, "The next line is yeah, it's like simple wrong would have been a simple right. wrong would have sufficed, but okay would have sufficed, but okay." <laughs> that's how I feel about this idea that's even floated by Mark Emmert. <sighs> and then Congress is going to hear it, and then Congress is going to think that's what's happening, and they're going to go to their. Uh, university presidents and ask them about shortening the season and what that looks like, and it's just going to create conversations that just simply don't need to be had. I'm telling you, you know, when we were in the throes, the early stages of COVID-19, where there was so much uncertainty, the idea of pushing back the start of the season a couple of weeks, okay, and logistically you got to figure that out. It's now June 5th, and I'm not saying it's impossible, but we're three months from kickoff. 
And the idea of we're just going to compress the college football season. We're just going to shorten it. And just throwing that out to Congress. I, I don't know. I mean, all the options are on that. No, there are not nearly as many options on the table anymore as there were two months ago. Because we're getting closer. And what else is happening? Well, folks are coming back on campus. Voluntary workouts have started in some places and a whole bunch of other places they start this coming Monday. Oklahoma's not going to do it till at least July 1st. They're going to be one of the last to start back. California's still kind of figuring their thing out. Everybody's, everybody's about to bring people back on campus to start working out to get ready for camps, to get ready for the football season. Because they're going to start playing on September 5th. You're not shortening the season unless you have a massive outbreak between now and kickoff. But then you're not shortening the season. You're going to push back the season because you got to get it under control again. But there's not going to be any shortening of the season. If you have a massive outbreak during the season, you may have to shut it down. But it's not going to be, oh, let's just play conference championship games Thanksgiving weekend. What a doofus! Nibbling on sponge cake Watching the sun bake all of those tourists covered with oil Strumming my six string On my front porch swing Smell those shrimp they're beginning to boil I love the, uh, the text where people encourage us of what we should and shouldn't talk about. Those are great. The guy yesterday Rippy, you was look like, like y- y- go, go the guy yesterday was like, change the subject. Like, All right. You know, Bill and Tupelo. Sounds good. We're flipping it. Yeah. I'm not even saying it bothers me. I just I'm amused by that some of the time. Ceasefire text lines open 601-879-4395. So Outkick the coverage, which is the uh, website that uh, Clay Travis founded. And he's hired a couple of people. He's got uh, Ryan Glassspiegel and also Bobby Burak uh, now covering it. And Glassbeagle wrote a story today that kind of outlined what a busy TV fall schedule is going to look like. And some of the logistical issues that some of these networks may have. So the combination of ABC, ESPN, they're going to have the NBA schedule and all kinds of college football, and then it rolls into college basketball season, which wasn't even mentioned in here. They're just saying, oh, it's all college football. College basketball starts on television in November, which the NBA will have ended by then, and so it'll kind of be back to normal. So 
He says under the presumable NBA schedule, Game 7 of the finals would occur on October 12th. That means that the NBA is going to be uh, will take place during five to six weeks of football season. Mondays are tricky because of Monday Night Football, which ESPN currently pays nearly $2 billion a year for. And maybe you could have an NBA game on ABC with Monday Night Football on ESPN. It says the biggest challenge is going to come on Saturdays. ESPN and ABC air wall-to-wall college football. Um, There is a draft where Fox and ESPN slash ABC share the Big Ten, Big 12, and Pac-12 rights. That draft has not yet happened. So... And that's just for some of the biggest games early. I mean, some of that happens on a week-by-week basis. But you've got ESPN ABC carrying some Big Ten games, some Big 12 games, some Pac-12 games, all of the SEC games with the exception of CBS's one time slot on Saturday afternoons, and all the ACC games. It's a ton of inventory. And the easiest solution may just be that all of the Saturday NBA playoff games will go to TNT. Which seems like a fairly simple solution. ESPN gets a bigger load of television games during the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And TNT kind of gets your, or I guess Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And TNT TNT does games on Saturday and Mondays. The other piece of this is they're they're talking about five games a day. Anyway, CBS's big conflict will be with the Masters, which has been moved to November 12th through the 15th. Sunday, November 15th, CBS will not have a game in its early window. The assumption is that the Masters will tee off early, much the way they did with their final round last year, so that they can conclude before the 4 p.m. Eastern time NFL window, which is only half an hour earlier than the CBS Saturday football game. So they could go early tee times on Saturday and Sunday to try and get golf out of the way by the time football rolls in. You think the club would go for that? I mean, they they may not have a choice anyway, but do you think they'd be okay altering what they want to do because they're notoriously uh, pretty stubborn to adjust for football? I mean, their weekend rounds might have to start earlier and be out of a more primetime window because of something that is completely unrelated to them. Do they go for that? I would think the good people at uh, Augusta National Golf Club will see will receive the same payment regardless from CBS. And I don't know, man. I just think the numbers are going to be so massive for a November Masters that we've never yeah. seen before. That I, I mean, I, I almost think you could put lights on the course tee it off at midnight and generate the same numbers <laughs> the, the masters are one of those they're one of those things that when it's on people are going to watch it doesn't really matter what time it is they could do the the, the, the they could do the tournament monday through thursday and tee it off at four in the morning and people would, would still get up to watch it what is the I, I college football suggest... slate that weekend the 15th mm. that would be 
I'm pulling it up in, right now. I'll give you the SEC. In terms of the SEC. I was going to say, normally it would be State Missouri. Alabama, but this year is messed up. Um, so Saturday, November 14th in the SEC only, Florida, Missouri, Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, Mississippi State, South Carolina, LSU, Vanderbilt, A&M, Alabama, UT Martin, Arkansas Ole Miss, Auburn, UMass, uh, that's it. So that weekend kind of stinks, but what a lead-in for Tennessee at Georgia. The freaking Masters. Yeah. I wonder if there would be any cooperation where that game would be allowed to be pushed back half an hour or an hour. Or as we talked about when we first started looking at this a couple of months ago, would CBS choose to use its primetime window there? Doesn't sound like it with that slate of games. Tennessee, Georgia could be really good. It's it's got the potential to be, but it's not Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Alabama, almost guaranteed to be. There's a yeah. real chance that Tennessee has two losses. Uh, I mean, three at worst, and a fringe top twenty-five team going into that game. I mean, it's possible. Yeah. Well, and I've said before. I mean. It, they don't have me at the negotiating table, but if I were ESPN, I would throw into the big negotiation of trying to get out of that contract early uh, a willingness to give them another primetime window there. You know, a, a second primetime slot during the season to make things easier and make that part of the deal for... Yeah, maybe maybe trade that for the theme music when you ultimately get the uh, get the package. Um, I don't know. If you want to read this, you can go to outkickthecoverage.com. It also outlines the issues that, uh, that Fox has. Uh, U.S. Open could conflict a little bit. It's scheduled to be the 17th through the 20th of September. Could conflict with football a little bit. Uh, you're talking about East Coast U.S. Open, so it's not one of those where you know they can play it well into prime time. NBC is going to get a couple of pretty cool deals out of this thing. Um, the Preakness gets moved to October third, so they will be able to pair the Preakness with Wisconsin Notre Dame. A fun day. This is incredible. As an aside, I had this thought today. Um, so there, there were more uh, layoffs for, for national sports media companies, a handful of them. And I keep thinking, you're about to enter into a time where there are more spo- sports in a condensed window than ever and a higher demand for them than ever. And you're going to, going to go at it with a smaller staff? So you're not good luck. I just I find that crazy that you're doing this today when you are just so close to a window in which there's a demand for sports like you've never seen before. It's probably more about what's happened the last three months, no? Right, but you're kind of through it now. I mean, we're for, on the who, other who side are you of this about thing. For again? Uh, the Athletic, um, oh yeah, Vox Media, all those people, uh, their furloughs ended and they've either taken buyouts or are done. Uh, there was a smaller publication I've never heard of that also uh, let some people go today. Yeah. 
Was it 46 layoffs at the Athletic? And, I mean, they can rehire some of those spots, but, I mean, it's just a revenue thing, I would think. You're just so close, Wait. and going at it understaffed seems like a bad idea to me. David, David better prepare his liver well in advance. He says, Bloody Marys for the Masters, beer for the afternoon game, and Crowlin water for the nightcap. Yikes. You got plenty of time to prepare. There was a time where I could have afforded a day like that. Not not this day. Hey. Start hydrating now. Sunday mornings with Borky might be a bit of an adventure after that. <laughs> Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Luke Johnson joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line next. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey, and now on the Farm Bureau phone line, that number, or excuse me, uh, Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Luke Johnson, coming to us from the Pine Belt. You guys getting ready for uh, rain next week? We'll see. We're all watching this. I got excited there for a minute. You were about to throw out that text number. I thought you were going to call out my old Southern Miss number, so I got a little excited there, but um, it's been 15 years, so it doesn't happen much. Didn't you have a triple-digit number? Weren't you like 302 <clears throat> or something are, like that? Hunters are people, too. I was uh, I was actually number <laughs> 17. We were playing at South Florida once, and we were out there really tossing around the football, and some um, South Florida fan that had gotten uh, too juiced before the game started screaming and said, hey, 17, you're too fat to be a quarterback. So, uh, with the quarterback number, <laughs> some of the talk sometimes. It was fun. He must have been impressed enough with your arm that he thought there was at least a chance. There's a possibility. There's a possibility. Yeah. So, what's going on in terms of uh, return uh, and the start of workouts for Southern Miss football? So, um, this week, voluntary workouts. Um, guys have started to come back in. Um, they'll have an exact number, but somewhere in the 50% range. I know you guys talked to Jerry McLean uh, yesterday. and uh, So hopefully mid-June, going to have most of the athletes back on campus. And, you know, even with the voluntary workouts, they have a protocol. They're they're trying to, you know, they're, they're doing uh, tests for symptoms, and they're doing daily temperature checks. And so the guys that are back right now going through stuff, um, just trying to get in, you know, the, the process of stuff. And, and with the change of a, a new offensive coordinator, you know, you have Matt Cooper coming in from Monroe. You didn't get a chance to learn, you know, an offense like that. So, you know, voluntary workouts like this, a lot of the guys come in, it's a good sign because they got a little extra homework to do. Look, I wonder what the, um, the communicate, you know, there's been some communication allowed in terms of, you know, video conferencing and Zoom calls and, you know, one-on-one conversations. I, I wonder what that process has been like with Matt Kubik, with um, Abraham and others, because I would think that kind of going into this voluntary stuff, you, you would encourage your quarterback to kind of be the organizer of some of those workouts. And, you know, even when it's not team-led voluntary workouts with strength coaches, that that's the guy you want out there kind of working with receivers and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, particularly with Jack being a senior, you know, he, he would be the one that would, would be in charge of that, and that's the type of leader you want. Um, just to switch to basketball real quick, incoming point guard, Tay Hardy did the same thing. He kind of called Jay Ladner, and he said, give me all my guys' numbers. 
and uh, just started talking to people from there. And so, yeah, that, that's what you want. You want leaders to go out there and, uh, you know, you would think that they would have a jump start um, to be able to, to coach until, you know, more um, hands-on stuff takes place. So it does, in this case, really help to have a senior quarterback who will be a three-year starter and then um, has had a, probably a pretty good opportunity, a little learning curve uh, this spring, but be able to coach some guys up on the practice field right now. Just in terms, Luke, of looking at the schedule, knowing what's coming back, what's gone, what's your kind of general outlook on, on this season for Southern Miss? Well, it, it's fruit basket turnover. I mean, you had some on the inside. Tim Billings, who was the defensive coordinator, he goes to the offensive side of the ball. He's coaching tight ends. Uh, Pecoraro comes in. He was a uh, he was the defensive coordinator for Southern Miss back in 2016-2017. They had two top 20 total defenses during those years. Um, and he's got a, a, a good history with Jay Hobson. Uh, went down with, with Kiffin at FAU for a couple of years and was at Kansas last year. So you have a new defensive coordinator, a new offensive coordinator, and so usually when that happens is it's going to be really good or it could, it could go the, the other way. Um, there is, uh, of course, some of the other coaches on staff are, are returners, but some, some people were, were shifted around. Um, you know, he, talking to Jeremy on the Eagle Hour and then hearing what he what he told y'all, pretty confident September 5th is going to go down. Um, it, it's just one of those things, can there be some momentum? Because just like um, in early in the year, you've got a, a, a week two date against Louisiana Tech, which is going to be ramifications of the West. You know, if you want to uh, have a chance to win the West, you got to win week two. And so... Um, it, it will depend, really, to me, those first two games. Um, you've got Auburn game four, and then you start. you got North Texas and Florida Atlantic back-to-back. So it's a team that will be green in some areas, will be experienced in other areas. Uh, but you feel like with Matt Kubik, this is the most balanced offense Southern Miss will have in probably Jay Hobson's tenure as head coach. And I think a lot of fans are excited about his emphasis to run the ball first because – under Buster Faulkner and Shannon Dawson, it's always been pass first to set up the run. How important is that South Alabama game right out of the gate? You can ask a lot of people that uh, they have <laughs> defeated, uh, you know, in some of the past years. It's big, obviously, for a win-loss record. But South Alabama has been creeping uh, all the more going into the Mississippi Gulf Coast, which has historically been Southern Miss territory and has pulled off some recruits from some schools that either should are from some recruits that should go to Louisiana or should obviously stay in South Mississippi or in Central Mississippi. And so it's a statement game on the recruiting trail, too. And that's been one of the things with Southern Miss, where with the rise of Troy, uh, with the rise of Louisiana Lafayette, like when I played, you know, we could go into those some of those areas that would, they would get overlooked by um, SEC country. You'd go find a Michael Bowley in North Alabama. You'd go grab Rod Davis from Gulfport. And with the rise of South Alabama and Troy and some of those other teams, um, you can't do that anymore. So you've got to win on the field to be able to convince someone next spring or next December to uh, to come to your program. I think we've gotten to the point where the idea of Southern Miss and Ole Miss playing in football is, is just not going to happen. And yet... I know there were some people that kind of raised their eyebrows a little bit when the announcement came, I guess it was last week, that Ole Miss was going to play a uh, a home-and-home with South Alabama. Would it be fair to assume that maybe that didn't sit well in Hattiesburg? Um, 
you know, I'm 37 years old, and we're 2-0 and against Ole Miss in my lifetime. So we played the last time when I was one year old. I mean, here's the thing. I, I totally get it. I, I, I salute Mississippi State for wanting to play the game, and I salute for Mississippi State for coming to Hattiesburg like they did. It doesn't sit well with Southern Miss fans that the fact that you really feel like it's a dodge. Now, I hear all the, the – the opposite side, I get it. You know, the, the aspect almost has nothing in the game. Well, Mississippi State plays the game. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of it, it is kind of eye-raising, uh, eyebrow-raising for sure. Um, and you can joke about it. That's where we're at now. We're just laughing it off, joking about it. But it does go back to, and it's, it's not all of Ole Miss, because you can listen to the Eagle Hour every day. One of the guys uh, that we salute over and over again is Ole Miss's baseball coach because of the fact that he'll play Southern Miss and he'll you know he'll come to Hattiesburg, and so yeah, it's it's just kind of funny. But you feel like you know, see how Lane Kiffin does up there. He's always open to new things. So who knows what might happen in the next few years? Yeah, um, I know there was a time, and and you were part of some of these teams where when there was a big game on the schedule, whether it was Nebraska or Alabama or Auburn or or whomever, that was one that was circled. And if you were the opponent, you were not looking forward to the game against Southern Miss. And Southern Miss fans were like frothing at the mouth to get to those games because you felt like you had a legitimate chance. When we've talked about some of those games in past years, Luke, you've been pretty candid that you know that this this may not be pretty. What's the attitude with the game in Auburn in week four this year? Well, you know, you went back to Auburn a few years ago, and, and I know it wasn't uh, Stidham's best year at Auburn, but Southern Miss was in the game. And, uh, you know, they're excited to go out there and play on the Plains. It's just going to be, again, um, you, you feel like, <clears throat> what's the new offense going to be like? When you look at what Kubik did in, in previous years, um, I know it wasn't a great Florida State team by any means, but he put four, you know, over 400 yards on them, put over 400 yards on Iowa State. Um, Really, I guess the only problem that Kubik had was uh, against Appalachian State, which could have arguably been the best team that that Monroe played last year. But yeah, it, it's just it's going to be how balanced can you be, and you feel a little better with a three starting quarterback going into it. But again, I mean, I, I don't think anybody realistically in Hattiesburg would feel going to Auburn the way that you have historically felt going to Auburn or to an SEC power, and that's just because. You've got to rebuild the program, and eventually you can't live off the past. And if you want to fly anyone, anywhere, anytime, you have to start beating people, anyone, anywhere, anytime. Yep. Yeah, that's a good point. Luke, always appreciate your time, man. Hope uh, you have a great weekend, and uh, it's just a little bit of rain and a little bit of wind if uh, indeed this uh, storm does make uh, landfall early next week. Thank you, my friend. Bye, guys. Have a great weekend. See you later. You as well. That's uh, Luke Johnson. He is co-host of the Eagle Hour on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. You can uh, always get that show via podcast as well.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.